All right. Um, there you go. So we are on a safari today. Have you, has anyone ever read the whole, like a whole book in the Bible in one sitting? Okay, good, 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 good. So most of you have. Now today we are going to do a whole book in a preaching. It's going to be awesome. You have to cooperate with me for me to fill you and you fill me. And that way we worship the Lord together. It's going to be awesome. I'm not going to be boring. Reason is, this book is not. Right? Yeah. And if you look at me like, who's that up there talking about all this stuff? I say, I'm wonderfully and fearfully made. I don't care what you think about me. I'm going to give it to you. This is God's word. That's all I'm about up here. Jonah's Safari. Now, the book of Jonah is, is an interesting book. Um, it differs from all the other minor prophets, you know. And uh, it is a narrative. It is not just a narrative. It is a biographical book rather than a prophetic book, you know. And it uh, talks about the story of a servant, Jonah. Actually, the name Jonah means dove. You know, pigeon. You know, and uh, so if you want to put some significance in the name, you can start carrying along in that journey, safari. <clears throat> it is not only a story of a servant, it's also a story of a storm. And also a story of a, sov a sovereign God. And so, as we go through the book of Jonah, uh, by the way, it has only four chapters. It's not going to take us long, all right? And I have only four points, all right? Every chapter, pick up a point. There's going to be lots of lessons coming along at you, you know, some you know of, you know, and amen to that. Some might be new, maybe. If nothing is going to be new, then you're going to do something about it. Much more than you've always had. All right. So, if you're in that book already, you saw me shooting out around some Bibles, right? And there was a reason to that. Because you guys are going to tag along with me as we go through this book today. The theme of this book is found in those three verses. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come upon me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tashish from the presence of the Lord. Um, Am I getting this right? <laughs> Trying. Okay. So, in chapter 1, as we begin, the lesson in chapter 1, you see a rebellious prophet. The, point, the first point there is that the word was heard. Why am I saying this? That 
this word which was heard, you see a guy deciding to choose what to do. You see the word was a definite word. It was to a particular guy. Jonah, son of Amittai. It wasn't just to a Jonah. It was to a particular. So it was a specific word. It was an exact word. It was a clear-cut word. It was a direct word. Outright. And it was express going to a particular guy, Jonah. But this word was not only a definite word to this guy. It was a disturbing word. We're seeing him fleeing. So it disturbed him. It worried him. It caused him anxiety. The word was also a distinct word. It was very different in nature from other prophetic messages of similar types. We are seeing a prophet being sent to a wicked people who are exceedingly, increasingly, being wicked. It is not a message to a once good people now gone bad or bad people wanting to be good. God is not seeing any signs of good in this place. So this guy <laughs> is troubled. And so he disobeys. For he sees nothing good can come out of this. How did I do that? Wow. And then the wheel is hardened. The guy is sent east to Nineveh. He goes west to Tarshish. You know, and you see that in verse 3. But Jonah, I'll confess, I so love the bats in the Bible. But this one here, I don't. But Jonah flees. He arose to flee to Tarshish. So you're seeing Jonah understood God's word. He was uncomfortable with God's word. He was unwilling to obey God's word. So he acted as people do. People who don't like God's commands. He rebelled and ran away, removing himself as, as possible from being under the influence of God. One thing he forgot, though, was this African proverb. There is nowhere on earth where the wind does not blow. The rebellious prophet. The wrath is hard. And, and, and this you see from verses 4 all through to verse 16. You know. And here is when we start reading our Bible. I need a volunteer to read for me. Verses 5 through to 16. I'll read verse 4. Chapter 1. Jonah, if you're there. Someone? Okay, I'll pick 
you. I'll do verse 4 and then you'll do 5 all through to 16. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Praise the Lord. Verse 4, we see a directed storm. But the Lord sent. It was not a normal storm. Verse 5 through to verse 13, we see the discovered sin. Verse 5 says, in verse 5 we see, we see a people with their own kind of gods. So, you know, now picture, picture yourself, you know, on a plane or in a ship, cruise ship, or, you know, going abroad for a safari. You meet people, people of, of different cultures. You pe meet people with different, from different traditions. You, you meet people with even family gods. And you even encounter countries when you travel abroad with beliefs on a national God. So this is the kind of a scenario we are being introduced here. That when this directed storm happened, every, it's something that they never expected. They have studied meteorologists and told them it's not going to be rain, it's not going to storm. And so they were well prepared for their travel. 
But this happens, and then they all cry out to their own gods. And so we are seeing people worshipping idols. People worshipping their own gods. And then you go through to the point where <laughs> they're now casting lots. You know, so that it's like we are seeking to see which God is greater at this moment. What the Lord considered of, what the Lord consisted of is not known, but they were a common method of pagan divination as well as a method sometimes used even in Bible times to show God's will. Leviticus 16.8 says, And Aaron shall cast lots on two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. So one will be used to cleanse sin, the other one will be released and go back into the wilds. And so this is the scenario there. And bang, Jonah is found. God used this particular way of things that are in, in how they are being done, even in other religions, to reveal himself. You know? And so you note the inconsistency in verse 9 and 10. Jonah is trying to escape the presence of God of heaven. In verse 12, Jonah volunteers before they even do this. Does that ring a bell? Volunteers? You, we only volunteer in professions or in activities that we know we fit in. If I join this, it's going to be better. If I give towards this course, it's going to be better. He volunteers to be sacrificed for, for the pagan sailors. Hello? <laughs> wow. An obvious change of attitude toward non-Israelites. Praise the Lord. Can I get an amen? amen. Wow. In verse 13, the hesitation of the sailors indicates a relationship is building up with Jonah and the fear of God for non-Israelites. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of knowledge, but fools, those are the bats I love in the Bible, but fools despite, despise wisdom and instruction. The devoted sailors, mariners, some versions call them marina, the Swahili versions call them baharia. From the word bahari, which is the ocean. Then verse 14 through to verse 16, we see, we see that the sailors prayed to Jonah's God for forgiveness of their act of throwing him into the sea, fearing that they would further antagonize him. You know, 
And then they offered a sacrifice on board, which is a significance um, Well, the significance of this vow is not, is not revealed. Why they did that thing. You know, some, some, some people would say the sailors believed on God and then they became Christians. You know, but maybe they added Yahweh to one of their many gods. <laughs> you know, um, Finally, yeah, chapter 1 ends with that. The great fish comes in handy. Some call it a whale. My Bible doesn't mention it that way. It says a great fish. Anyway, now the Lord had prepared the prepared fish. The Lord had prepared fish, a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Three days and three nights. The prophetic figure. This is a providential fact right here. Three days, three nights, full. It rings a bell for you, to you. And this is a resurrection figure. And both the Jews and the pagans alike believed that after three full days, you know, after three full days having died, the soul of that person goes to where that person chose, whether to hell or to heaven. It is the same case with Jesus. Three full days, three full nights. So at this point, these sailors would be talking about a dead man. And that was the prophet's faith. He is going to live. Well, here... We go to chapter 2 where we see a repentant prophet. And some of you cannot see this. But that's why I brought in Bibles. Alright? And so we're going to do some systematic readings right here. I'm going to do the words in italic. And then you guys are going to be doing the verses. So in chapter 2. I want you to go close to verse 1 all the way to verse 9. I'll be telling you the verses to read. The first line, you're going to read the first line, which is the verse 1. Jonah's supplication. Verse 1. Jonah's suffering. Jonah's statement. Verse 
Jonah's submission. Jonah's singing. Praise the Lord. Jonah's prayer reveals a note of triumph. He prayed out of the belly of the fish, but with an absolute confidence in God. God had disciplined him. And now Jonah abandoned his disobedience and vowed to obey God. Obey God's word, people. Don't wait. Don't wait for him to discipline and put you in your place. (laughs) The repentant prophet. The sovereign speaks. So the Lord spoke to the fish. (laughs) I love movies. That's why I dressed up for my safari today. You know, this is awesome. And it vomited Jonah onto dry land. You know, Jonah's safari reminds us of of Jehovah's faithfulness. Sovereign Lord's faithfulness. Jonah's, Jonah's safari reminds us of, of Jonah's freedom. And Jonah's safari reminds us of our focus on these two characters in this story. Chapter 3, the recommissioned prophet. The willing prophet we see. God disciplines Jonah for his rebellion. Jonah repents, and the word of the Lord comes a second time. (sighs) Right? And so we see the renewed commission here. Verse 1 and 2. God is a God of second chances. God is a God of second chances. Now the illustrations that can confirm this, still in the Bible, you see Samson, mighty and strong, coming back for a second time. You see Peter denying Jesus three times. But upon this rock, Jesus said, shall be my church. You see doubting Thomas's, you know, I have to see something in particular from the crucifixion for me to ascertain that you are the one. And then he comes and touches and I say, yeah, I believe. <laughs> John Mark, Paul, you know, Bible is awesome. And if I, if I keep on going on, I'll start mentioning more. I'll mention Chris. I'll mention piano. 
know, I mentioned Kelvin. You know, the list is endless. The list is endless. But are we coming back for that second chance? The ready compliance. Verses 3 down to verse 4. Jonah is ready to obey now as he was to disobey in the beginning. Recommissioned prophet. Now we see the wicked people now. What happens to the wicked people when Jonah now responds and now he goes to deliver God's message? As easy as A, B, C. I'm going to say the wicked people. And then you guys are going to read the words in italics. Okay? The wicked people. No, 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 no. The words in italic. The words in italic. The wicked people. Stop. That simple. Believed and. So the people need to believe God, proclaim the fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest. To the least of them. The wicked people, second italics. That simple. Began their repentance. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and southern ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, test anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. This did not just touch the people's hearts. It also touched their leader's heart. And above all else, the wicked people, number three, I named my daughter Mercy. Not only because it's a word found in the Bible that will always remind me of some cleansing or God's compassion over me. But it is also a gift that my wife has. First, (laughs) she's so merciful. You know, above all that, you know, leaving Canada and coming to Kenya for the first time when she was 16 to be a missionary, you know, all that I put behind. But I just look at her heart and say, I want that. 
I want that gift to rekindle in my household day in, day out. And so, and I prayed for a daughter, and I was given. I said, I'm going to name this girl Marcy. The Lord is faithful. It touched God's heart too. And uh, as you can see, the wondrous pardon follows. Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. Divine judgment was averted. God saw their conduct and spared the city. We're in chapter 4 now. Almost done. Almost done. Verse 1 through to verse 4. As we look at the raging prophet, we're starting to wonder, why, why, why are we reading about a raging prophet now? You know, he was disobedient. He came to life and he's back and, you know, and now he's, people have confessed God has shown mercy why is the prophet raging? Let's keep going. The grieved prophet. He is grieving now. We see in verse 1, in light of God's action, Jonah reveals to us his short-sightedness. He reveals to us his selfishness, his stubbornness, and his superficiality. You know, we see his grip. Verse 2 indicates that he knew this would be God's response to the repentance of the people of Nineveh. And he did, he did not want God to withhold judgment in the first place. So I'll go ahead and do it. But it's because you've said so. And I've gone through hell, so I know what you can do. It is your message. I'm going to deliver it. But don't save them. There are reasons to this. Let's keep going. We see his groaning. Jonah wanted to die. But we see God's grace in verse 4 that God responded to Jonah's attitude and actions with gentle and gracious grace. And then we see Jonah's grudge. He went out of the city and made a booth and sat in its shadow waiting to see what God would do. We see the gracious provision. 
God dealt with Jonah by using the plant. Some versions say a god. Is it a god? You know, a god tree. Grows very fast, shoots up pretty quickly, and but this one happened in a night. In times of trouble, God prepares consolation for the relief of his people. Such a refuge was Jonah's God. Jonah quickly recovers his temper. He rejoiced with great joy over the God. Had a nice shade for him. <laughs> huh? This reaction is a sign of his peculiar temperament, either very optimistic or very pessimistic. God dealt with Jonah by also using the pest. Some versions say the worm. The God, however, did not last. Now God comes in God who had prepared it comes in, prepares a womb, which was here to destroy. But still, things got worse. God prepared a vehement wind, which some versions say the, uh, the Sirocco wind. And we again see his passion here, where his passion is at, as this goes on. Again, Jonah desires to die, again, for the second time. Desired to die in the first place, that people were saved, now desired to die, that God is not saving him. He still keeps wiping stuff away from him. Now, God sometimes withdraws the gifts of earthly consolations that we may learn to bear our cross in reliance upon him. And not to rest in mere, you know, I would say mere creativity or mere whatever it is that you cling to that is material, The principle is this. At first, if you've been following, it seems inconsistent and contradictory that a prophet would do this, that a prophet would behave like this. But a little consideration that this guy represents is of the essence. He represents a large class in every age, a class in which good and bad traits are combined in one sitting, in one person, in one venture. This is a good story. So we see, you might want to consider the personal humiliation that a prophet of this caliber 
would be, you know, in. That his prediction, having failed, he might be regarded as a false prophet. You know, the zeal for God's honor amongst the heathen, there is no one time in the Old Testament where a prophet is sent to wicked people who are increasingly being wicked. No one time. It is the only time. And, 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 and not just that, wicked people, but again, it is also the only one time in the Old Testament where a prophet is sent to the Gentiles. A zeal for God's honor amongst the heathen is so vibrant, so amazing. Share the gospel. The painful contrast between the conversion of Gentile Nineveh, particular Nineveh, and the impenitence of his own people. Now, this is the principle. Jonah is being sent to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh in the olden days, the Bible already said that it was the great city. The great city. Now, we are talking about the ancient Assyria armies. It is mentioned even in the book of Genesis chapter 10. The great Nineveh, Middle East, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about present-day Moku. We're talking about present-day Iraq. Who would want to go there? So the prophet is being real. We deny with a passion. The hardness of human heart, the blindness of sin, and the trickery of Satan comes alive at this juncture. And it's going to be worse to you today, or hard for you today, who was hard of somebody who was already sent there, and he went. So you cannot plead a special case and behave like he did. And say, there's no, no one has ever gone there and come out alive. You know, no one has ever done that. Somebody did. <laughs> but it is painful. That doesn't end there. He's not only thinking about the people being saved. He's thinking about his people, the Israelites. Nineveh, the Assyrian army, takes these people, the Israelites, to exile. And we're talking about Old Testament times. We're talking about times when this was happening. And prophets knew this so well. Even how it would happen. And so for you to send a guy to go, this is how I was picturing it while I was reading this. I was picturing God telling me, go deliver this message to that guy. 
he's going to get saved. But again, in 10 years or one year or five days, he's going to come and take me captive. Because his heart is going to get transformed and changed again and take me captive. Or not him, maybe after his tenure, his, his grandchildren will come and take my people captive because that's the history we've had. And that's what we are having today. The people from these regions are still killing the Israelites. This is where the heart of the matter is. And so we see, we see the Americans being patriotic. And not just the Americans, but all of us. I wouldn't send a Kenyan to that place. Um, I don't know. That would have been my immediate reaction. A danger to his own country because of the threatening power of Nineveh. His anger causes him such misery that he requests for himself to die. Let me die and not be. Let me not see that day when my people will be taken captive. Or let me die so that I don't see these people repenting. He was a sincere religious man and yet very human. His temperament leads him to vacillate between extremes. First, open rebellion against God, then deep penitence afterwards, perfect obedience, then discontent and despair. Throughout we see a strong trait of selfishness. A very contradictory character, and yet so true to life. A man of irascible temper. He is very easily provoked and then most unreasonable. So we sometimes see our husbands. Sometimes that's how we see our fathers. That's how we sometimes see our partners. That's how we sometimes see our kids. That's how we sometimes see our leaders. That's how we sometimes see everybody. But, ah, I love the but in the Bible. First Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Can I get an amen? Thank you. Work so hard to take us through this book. <laughs> uh, in closing, I would like to read Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen through twenty one. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against us against them and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us we beg you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God he made him who knew no sin to be seen on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him my point the ministry of reconciliation is to announce the message of what God who was in Christ has done to provide atonement for sin. Those already reconciled, which I believe most of you are, or probably all of you, if not, we're going to pray, or you can pray on your own, need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who have been reconciled, have the commission to bring that message to others. And you need to know this. This one, you need to know. There's this word called imputing. It's, it's a thing that has happened on, on this very word of reconciliation. In his grace, God has refused to reckon our trespasses against us. So even if you beat your body and you cry out loud, me, 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 I'm a sinner, I hate me, I, I, don't, I don't know who I am. He said, good thing you don't. Have mercy. The love of God in our hearts should constrain us to the same full commitment he sought from Jonah and which he received so joyfully from the likes of Paul. Killed Christian, saved Christian. Quite the balance, eh? No, it's grace. God has committed this ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation to the church. When the church has the attitude of exclusiveness exhibited by Jonah and Israel, it fails to accomplish its tasks. But when the church takes seriously the command of Jehovah, sovereign Lord, and go to the nations, people who hear the word respond in faith. As easy as ABC. We make it hard. We want it to happen our way. It has to be my God. Is your God the sovereign Lord? Is he the merciful one? Is he the one who will go into a place, inhabit how people do their worship, and see where he can reveal himself and not take charge and let people do it the way you would want people do it. So that's worship. 
it's not. So help us, God. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day, and uh, we just want to thank you for the heart that uh, uh, is shown from this character, John, Lord. And we thank you that this message reached out to the Gentiles. And so we are engrafted, Lord, to belong in the faith. Him who knew no sin became sin for us. And so we thank you for that. I pray for that in our church. I pray for that, that God, you may forgive us where we have portrayed ourselves as a, as a people that are set apart and not inclusive. And that you may use our church and you may use our congregation, Lord, to reach out to many hearts out there in this region, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. God bless you.